I'm sure many of you have seen in the news over the last several days the protests that took place on the campus of the University of Missouri uh, that eventually led to the resignation of the president and the chancellor of the University of Missouri. Uh, all of that uh, is said to have come because of what was believed to have been a, a lack of response on the part of the administration to some racially charged incidents there on the campus, uh, which of course, that if that's the case, would have been certainly uh, strong examples of, of hatred being manifested. Well, it's interesting that at the same time, and some of you may have seen this in the news as, as well, uh, that there also on that same campus just in the last several days, there was a communications professor who got into a bit of, of trouble because she was caught on camera um, confronting and blocking the ability of a student journalist from filming and taking photos of some of the protesters that then led, of course, to those resignations, um, as, as though somehow, and this is the irony, I guess you could say, the irony of that, as, as though somehow you could take a, a public demonstration and keep it private. So whereas the first case we could say, well, of course, that would be an example of hatred, I think we would just have to say in this case, that's just an example of hypocrisy. It would seem that when it comes to anger, when it comes to hatred, we rightfully are concerned, but we are also somewhat confused as to what to do with it, what to make of it, how to respond to it. Um, we're a bit gummed up when it comes to this topic. Uh, if you have your Bible with you, I'd ask you to turn with me to Matthew 5. Uh, Jesus is going to make some things clear for us, uh, clearing the confusion, clearing the air. Um, Matthew chapter 5. Uh, again, we are moving in this series in the Gospel of Matthew. We are in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount, which has caused us to slow down significantly as we're moving down through, excuse me, through this uh, study in Matthew's Gospel. Uh, we are in Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 21 through 26. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. Hear now the word of God. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Well, would you pray with me? Oh Lord, as your prophet said, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. And that is certainly true in this case, and in all cases of your holy word. Uh, here you spoke these words the first time there on a hillside just off the shore of the Sea of Galilee so many years ago, 
Uh, so far away, and yet at the, here we are. Here we are in this little place on Sunday morning in, uh, in mid-November of 2015, studying these words. Indeed, your, your words do last and endure. And we ask that you would impress them upon our wayward hearts, uh, that you would redefine our definitions, that you would uh, recast our assumptions and presuppositions and understandings about, in some ways, the most basic things that we tend to get so wrong. Uh, we need your help, uh, and we pray that you would help us now, help us understand at a head and heart level, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know what it is about this time of year, fall. It, it does bring to my memory road trips of, of years gone by. Uh, maybe it's because of my, my affection for, my affinity for being out there in the countryside and looking out to the left and the right and just seeing the, the change of colors there as you're moving on uh, there on the road. Or, or maybe it's because of just memories of, of road trips for football games and, and fond you know, things, uh, thoughts that come because of all that. Or maybe it's because, just frankly, it's roughly this time of year, heading towards late November and then on into December, that I have many memories of our family getting on the road and going out to see family uh, out, out east. In any case, whatever it may be, whatever your memory of your road trip may, may happen to be, um, whatever the route might be, however stops along the way that you may take on that, on that journey, the point is you're trying to get to a destination, right? I mean, you are, uh, that's the goal. That's why you got in the car. That's, your, that's the goal. That's the purpose. That was the whole point behind the, the whole endeavor was to go there. And whatever else comes along the way is, is meant to serve that interest, that, that larger purpose. Jesus says some astonishing words in Matthew 5, verse 17, just a few verses earlier than what we read just a few moments ago. They are striking words. When you really hear what he is saying of himself, and we looked at this last week, Matthew 5, verse 17, it is just, the, the word, this is not even, words don't describe it. I would just say amazing and astonishing that anyone would say this of themselves and mean it, and be sane, and it could only be Jesus who could say this. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Understand what he's saying? He's saying, I have come, I am the living embodiment of the fulfillment of everything that has ever happened before. Whoa. I mean, all of the ceremonies, all the sacrifices are about him. All the history, all the major figures, all the major players, all, even, even some of the places in the Old Testament are about him. All the prophets, all the poets, all the sages, all that they wrote, all that they did, is all about, it's driving towards, it's pointing towards, it's anticipating, preparing the way for him, his coming. That's what he's saying. And not just that, but in the context of teaching and what's coming in the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying, my teaching is the fulfillment of all of this as well. Yes, yes, the commands, God's commands, the laws, the statutes, the, um, the testimonies, the precepts, the rules, you know, all those synonyms that we have for his commands, all those were and are and forever will be true. 
and right. But Jesus is saying ultimately they're anticipating, preparing the way for my coming, my teaching that will fulfill and clarify what all that was about, what its original intent and meaning was. So, listen up. Again, all the Old Testament is pointing towards Him. All the commands, it's, it's, it's all ultimately, while true and right, they are ultimately hinting towards, alluding towards what He's about to say. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus is saying, I have come to fulfill the law. And then, as the Sermon on the Mount is unfolding, he's, about, he's going to give us six examples. Six examples. We're going to look at one here this morning. Six examples of how he has indeed come to, how that plays itself, uh, how that plays out, I should say. And, and in this case, the command regarding, the prohibition regarding murder. Jesus has come to fulfill the law. We need to hear what he has to say about that. Including, in this particular instance, what he's saying about the prohibition of murder. He's come to fulfill it. We need to hear what he has to say about it. Now, in order to do that, I want to delve into three different things over the next few minutes. And you've got this in your outline. First, the command itself. He's quoting here from the Sixth Commandment. We'll get to that in a second. Um, the command itself. Secondly, a correction that has, he has to give regarding that mm, command. I'll explain that here in just a second. And then thirdly, uh, the cautions that he gives regarding all of that. So first, the command itself. Secondly, a correction that he gives regarding that command. And then, as a consequence, the cautions that he gives uh, in wake of that. So, the command, the sixth commandment, is what he is quoting here, at least initially. Verse 21, And you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. That's the command itself. And he adds on a little bit here, And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Here's the idea. After the exodus, God says to the people of Israel, Look, I have saved you. I have redeemed you. You are mine. Here's what it looks like to live in relationship with me. And then he gives these commands. Well, what did the commands say? I want to look at this in, in, in two ways. First, what it actually said, and then how by Jesus' time it was read. Understand there's a distinction there. What it actually said in its true meaning, and then how it has come to be read and understood by Jesus' time. So first, what did it say? First off, the command is you shall not kill. That's not actually the right translation there. And I know some of the older translations did that. It's, there are all kinds of different verbs that could have been used to translate. It's not that. It's you shall not murder, meaning it's for the prohibition of a premeditated taking of an innocent life. You shall not murder. That's the command, which, by the way, informs a great deal, at least it should, our understanding of such issues as abortion. You shall not murder, or suicide, assisted suicide, or euthanasia, or stretching out a bit further, just war theory, or self-defense, or capital punishment. All those issues 
need to be circling around, orbiting around, grounded in this commandment, the sixth command. I don't have time to get into that right now. I just want to say that. Uh, the grounds for the command, what is the grounds for this command? You shall not murder. The grounds for the command is simply this. The eternal value and, how shall I say, um, inestimable worth of every human person. Because every human person, whoever they are, is made in the image and according to the likeness of God. And therefore, the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. C.S. Lewis, in his wonderful uh, sermon, then now publishes an essay, The Weight of Glory, writes something of this, and it's in your quotes and notes there. Uh, he writes, It is a serious thing to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature, which, if you saw it now, would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as if you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It is in light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all plays, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. It is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. That's the grounds. That's why we have the Sixth Commandment. You shall not murder. That's the ground. It applies across the board to every human person. Okay, that's what it said. How was it read? By the time you get to Jesus' day, it was understood to have a very limited application. Uh, it was understood to really just be applied to the actual taking of a physical life, nothing more, nothing less. And as far as the penalty was concerned, just an earthly court would decide on that, nothing more, nothing less. That was, was hemmed in and applied just towards that. Just towards that. And, and now why? What's the grounds for that casuistry? That those legal shenanigans, that uh, mentality of looking for a loophole in, in the rule. Okay, what's the grounds? Why, where is that coming from? It's easier. It's easier. It's easier to limit the reach and the extent of the command. It's easier to play down the stakes and if not delve into what the Lord really intends by His commandments. It's easier. That's how it was read. It's not what was said. It's not what was meant. Now before we move on into the second point, I just want to ask this question, because it's something we've got to deal with, every one of us. Is it possible that we ourselves are guilty of such casuistry ourselves, playing fast and loose, looking for legal loopholes, trying to limit the application uh, of these commands, limiting the application of the command, deluding the brokenness, the bentness of our own hearts, thinking mm, or failing to think of others as bearing this eternal worth, an astonishing level of dignity. Every person, you know, to what degree are we who do we put in the, as an exception to that? Oh, well, I know it's everybody else, but surely not her. Surely not him. 
In what different ways are we guilty of doing that? And I would just, you know, dis, what is that doing? We're dismissing. Dismissing the Word of God. To what degree could we be guilty of doing the very thing the Pharisees were doing? And the reality is we've got to, you know, consider it is easier to do that. So we are inclined to do that. Jesus, I said a moment ago, say it again, Jesus came to fulfill the law. We need to hear what he has to say on this particular issue pertaining to murder. Right, it takes us to the second point. With the command then comes this correction. Explain this. All right, read verse 21, push on into verse 22. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Okay, let me give some, first some clarifications, okay, um, to try and clear away the debris field of some confusion on, on this, all right? First off, Jesus is, and I alluded to this already, make it plain now, Jesus is not critiquing the law itself. The law itself, the command itself, is an expression of the heart of God. It is eternal and true and right and forever will be so. Um, he is not critiquing the law. He is critiquing the human traditions that had formed up and encrusted around the law, like barnacles on the hull of a ship. And that's what he is refuting and, 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 and pushing back against um, here in this context. That's the first clarification. Second is this. He is not speaking against all forms of anger. He can't. If you keep reading through the Gospels, you find specific instances where Jesus himself gets angry. He gets angry not for himself, per se. It's not when he's personally offended and he lashes out. It's not that. It's always when the honor of God is at stake. It's always when, the, when, the, when, when injustice and harm for the sake of others, that's when he gets angry. But rather, Jesus is speaking, again, not against all forms of anger, but all forms of anger that are born of pride and malice. And hate. That's the anger. There is such a thing as righteous indignation. In fact, I would go so far as to say this, I don't have time to get into it, but the reality is there are times it is wrong not to be angry. That you've got a sin to confess if you're placid and unresponsive. Just a quick aside. Talk about it later if you want. Okay, those are the, cl the clarifications. With that, let me now explore a little bit the intensifications that Jesus gives to this command. Let's just break down the three parts of verse 22 real quickly. So he says in the first part of verse 22, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Okay, um, to, to, he had already spoken of one kind of judgment, clearly a human level of judgment there in verse 21, quoting the scribes. But here in verse 22, he's clearly speaking of God's judgment, because he's, he's saying, look, if you're angry, now who else really knows but God, what's going on in the heart of a person, so the judgment that's coming out of that can only be God's judgment. So here he's speaking of, you're angry, in your heart, it's, you are liable to divine judgment. The second part, pushing forward, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. This is an insult, this is an attack on someone's intellect, their intelligence, the head. 
And by mentioning the Sanhedrin, the council, the Jewish council of the day, and what he's already said, it's pretty clear he's, he's speaking now of a still divine judgment for speaking of another person in this way, insulting their intelligence, attacking their head, if you will. Pushing on further in the verse, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. The first was an attack on the head. This is an attack on the heart, not an intellect, but the character. You speak that way, you're guilty of the hell of fire, literally the, the Gehenna of fire, which was a reference to an area at southwest of the old city of Jerusalem that centuries ago, when the, the city was occupied by other nations, was used, well, actually, it was when the nation of Israel fell into gross sin, I should say. It was used as a place of child sacrifice. This site is being referred to. And now, by the time you get to Jesus' day in the early mid-first century, it was known as a fire pit, a smoldering fire pit. And was just it was a tagline, it was symbolic for, everyone understood it to be a, 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 a physical, tangible symbol of eternal punishment. The Gehenna of fire. And Jesus says, you speak of a person. You let your heart go in this direction. And that's what you're deserving of. You understand that, that, that to sum all this up, what he's saying is the ugly fruit of murder is not really what the Sixth Commandment is about. It's the root. It's the root of anger, of malice and hate, that ultimately that's what the Sixth Commandment is about. That's what he's saying. And because of that, he is willing to extend the nature of the crime and the duration of the punishment. It's a heart crime and an eternal punishment because of the stakes. Because after all, what, what is, what is that, 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 that anger, that hatred, that malice? What is that a sign of? It's a sign of a low view of someone who bears God's image and is made in his likeness and a desire to be rid of them. We need to take this seriously and hear the correction that Jesus is giving. read a headline a few days ago. Suspect in New Mexico road rage killing pleads not guilty. Tony Torres is accused of shooting um, Lily Garcia, four-year-old Lily Garcia, in, in the head. Uh, this is a few days ago. Um, it was last weekend, uh, Torres, well, back up, Garcia, her father picked up her and her younger brother up at school. They're making their way down the highway. Something takes place on the road. There's an a incident about a lane change. An argument ensues. That escalates. Torres is then accused of chasing Lily's father's pickup truck, firing shots into the pickup truck, one of which struck Lily in the head. Killed her on the scene. A family is left grieving. Now, I, re I report that to you, and I know what you're all thinking. I would never do that. You might not, I might not do exactly that. But, the malice, the anger, the dismissiveness. I mean, honestly, how do you respond in a traffic snarl? What are the things that come out of your mouth 
before your children? What are the things going on that thoughts you're entertaining? Stupid fill in the blank. Or, or push it just further, you know, the, the innocuous settings, a social occasion, and you're snubbed. Maybe even this morning already, probably. It's quite likely. A sporting event, bad call by the official. Oh my goodness, we go ballistic because of the stupidest things. These, these things that aren't even about us or, or certainly not God's honor is hardly at stake. Well, it is now <laughs> because of our response. We need to hear, think, consider what our response is and what Jesus is saying here and, and not minimize it. He is equating our angry, hateful thoughts and words with murder. He's equating the two. We have to understand, he gets the right to do that. We don't. He gets the right to make the definitions. We don't. And he is saying to think that way, to feel that way, to speak that way, to act that way is murder. And murder, that is a crime punishable by the sternest of penalties. Are we willing to hear that? I don't think we are. But we need to be. He came to fulfill the law. We need to hear what he's saying. Now, that then takes us to the cautions. Because if this deal with anger taking root in our hearts and the malice and the hatred that, that it, it, it comes from and, bear, and the ugly fruit that it bears, if that's all true, therein is, oh my goodness, strong action needs to be taken. And that's where these two scenarios come into play that he puts before us. First, the need to make peace with a brother, and secondly, the need to make peace with an enemy or an adversary. Verses 23 through 26. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, you see, with all that in mind, so if you're offering your gift at the altar, and then remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you'd be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. All right, first, making peace with your brother. That's verses 23 through 24. The explanation is the context of, of first century temple worship. Our context would be a Sunday morning church service. Okay? And note who's angry here. It's not us that's the angry party here. It's someone else. It's a third party that's angry that's offended at us. Understand? That's, that's what he's delving into here. And the principle is this. Look, if, if it's good for us to deal with the anger and the hatred and the malice within our own hearts, then an act of love would be when we know someone is on the precipice or maybe already in the pit of having anger and malice or offense at us, an act of love would be going to them and working to do all we can to free them of that. That's the application of the principle that Jesus is putting here before us. And note, by the way, he doesn't say, and, and by the way, if they're justified in having something against you, or if they're rightly offended at you, that, he doesn't give that qualification. He just says, if they're angry, if they're offended, go! Go! That's what he says. 
The second scenario is not just making peace with your brother, but making peace with an enemy, an adversary. Here you have this context of a, the judicial system of the time, the customs of, of debt imprisonment. Um, we would say maybe in our contemporary context, do all you can to settle out of court before things get out of hand. And the principle here is, act quickly, move decisively, do something, own it, move forward. But here not so much for their sake, but for yours, for your own sake, move quickly. Don't wait, don't delay, don't pause. Take immediate action. You know, obviously my office is, you know, it's right there in that old house there, in case you don't know. So my office, I spend a fair bit of time sitting not too far away from Interstate 24. And because I sit not that far away from Interstate 24, it is not that uncommon for me to hear sirens and then see emergency vehicles go by, whether it's, you know, the, the ambulance to care for people who are hurt or a fire truck to deal with a hazard or the police to take care of reports and to clear up all the traffic. Um... Imagine, though, this scenario. Imagine if the 911 call went out and nobody responded to you know, a wreck out there in 24. And not because no one was available, not because of budget shortfall, but just because the, the people in the different offices said, eh, I don't feel like it. I'm done. It's 5 o'clock. I'm punching out. What would we say? We would say they are derelict in their duty and they do not grasp the gravity, the urgency of the situation. So why are they sitting on their butt? Yes, I just said butt in the sermon. I know. They're not grasping the urgency of the situation. What of us? Do we grasp the urgency of the situation? When there is a friend, a brother, a sister, who is offended, who is angry, who is upset at us, are, do, are we willing to move quickly forward to help them lest that anger take root to their hurt? Do we grasp the urgency of the situation? Do we grasp the urgency of the situation where it's an, an, an enemy, an adversary, someone who's got us in their crosshairs? And again, do we, do we get it such that we will move quickly, that we will act immediately before that anger, before that malice takes root for our, to, for our own good? Will we move? Or will we just say, eh, and dismiss it? Now we might... And we might not care, but I'll tell you who does care. Jesus cares. And we need to. We need to as well. So where does this leave us? Jesus came to fulfill the law. That's absolutely clear. There's no question about that, what, that, what, that, what he's saying and what that means. The problem, folks, is not lack of clarity. The problem is in here. The problem is in here. And our unresponsiveness to what he is saying. I'm, I'm, as a member of the shepherding committee in our presbytery, I'm sadly having to travel a bit here as of late just because of stuff going on on our committee, in our presbytery. And what that means is that I'm on my cell phone a lot, traveling through the countryside, and I'm on calls before meetings and after meetings. And what happens usually, you know what this is like when you're traveling and you're through a hilly country and the signal goes in and out and you can't really quite hear what the other person is saying, right? It cuts out on you. Lack of clarity. 
That's not what we have here. It is not a problem of the signal going in and out, and we don't get, oh, I, Jesus, could you repeat that? I didn't get, what? no, it's, that's not the problem. The problem is here. We get angry for all the wrong reasons. I want what I want when I want it. Get out of my way. If I don't get what I want when I want it, I get angry at the person that's keeping me from getting what I want. Standing in the way of what I want. Or give me what I, I want. Which then, of course, does what to the relationship? Destroys them. Breaks them apart. And, of course, I'm too slack. I'm too lazy. I don't care enough about what Christ cares about to move in and actually try and do the repair work on the relationship that I blew up in the first place. We have a problem. We also have good news. And here's where I want to end. The one who requires this of us redeems. The one who said these strong, penetrating words saves. The one who gives us these commands that we must take seriously gave his life for us and his spirit to help. Would you pray with me? Lord, you have spoken. Help us hear. Help us see. Help us grasp the value, the worth of every human person. That that would totally transform how we think and speak and act towards each other and every other that we would not, as we are so prone to do, not minimize this command, but rather take you seriously. We ask that you would begin this work within us now. Carry it forth. Draw people to yourself because of the magnificent, wondrous, miraculous work that you're doing even in our own lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.